Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 4, Project Lawful and Their Oblivious Boyfriend. Episode 81. Carissa comes in for her post-queen checkup. She looks better. She still feels off balance, but in a way she suspects will just be a permanent feature of her life. She has actually had fewer nightmares about being turned into a statue since it actually happened to her. It feels, in a way, like it was a bad nightmare and one she now knows can never happen for real. That said, she is aware she's in line for a very serious punishment at this point, and she's scared of that in a way she did not used to be scared of punishment. Not quite fully recovered, but getting there. Fit for all but the fullest of full duties. Probably still not somebody who ought to be tortured right this minute, if the Queen of Cheliax's painstaking work is to be treated with the respect it deserves, and in fact, rather stringently commands. Apart from that, Carissa looks like somebody who thinks herself due for severe and painful rebuke. Your fear is showing, Subarax observes. Is it for your feelings with Keltham yesterday? Or have you erred or transgressed in some other way than that? Possibly, but it's that I have in mind. I didn't expect this, and I understand why Asmodeans aren't supposed to indulge it, and I am only afraid of failing in my duties here. Which isn't true, but should be. The Grand High Priestess has already told you that the improbability of your entanglement with Keltham and its escalation bespeaks the intervention of something with at least a shattered fragment of prophecy, tropes, or nethys, but nothing else known to us. We are hoping that Asmodeus is aware of this, benefiting from it, though we are frightened and unsure. In the end, we do not wish to smash whatever this is while our Lord seems to be perhaps being making use of it. If, indeed, it can be smashed by anything at all short of our Lord's direct assault, when it holds a fragment of prophecy, and we do not. Only Aspexia Rugaton is authorized to wholly reshape or destroy your feelings for Keltham. Should that seem the wisest way, I am not. Yacint reaches out a hand then and strokes Carissa's cheek. But if you have reached the point where you are feeling guilty and knowing yourself worthy of punishment, out of your own faith, she says gently, knowing exactly how much fear she must be causing, but aiming to make it more than simple fear, then I think I would be remiss in denying that to any faithful Asmodean. Is there any transgression you've committed? about which you've come to so feel. Carissa really needs to do something about the new phenomenon where her internal monologue gets all drowned out by a rush of internal screaming. It is not a necessary consequence of my feeling love for him that the thought occurred to me that I could tell him we should leave. I shouldn't have. It should be possible to endure whatever feelings without contemplating betrayal. It should not be possible for me to think of. And if I did not correct even that, how would you feel about that? Be honest, Carissa. Your answer here might not much determine your punishment, or perhaps not in the direction you expect. I don't know, High Priestess. 
Maybe you don't care because it's not like it'd be hard to stop me, except Dis doesn't think I'm that interchangeable. Maybe you don't care because there's a plan, in which case, all right, I don't need to know the plan, I just don't want to fail it. Maybe. This is something I'm wrong about, like, I was wrong about how many people want to be perfected in the purifying flames of hell, where almost no one does because we don't teach it right where there's actually a massive epidemic of people contemplating treason and I didn't run into it all that often at the world wound, only because most people are too broken to send to the world wound lest they immediately wander off and join the paladins. If the answer is that this isn't surprising and doesn't portend poorly, then that's good, I guess, for the mission. But this all feels like applying far too much cleverness in the wrong direction. Obviously, you have to punish contemplation of defection so people stop it. But we don't know how, do we? We don't know how to make the rest of us into Pilar. Stop, Carissa. You are letting your thoughts run too far ahead with complications. Jacint says, with a soft smile backed by enough splendor that even Sever might pause before concluding that no, it wasn't sincere. Trying that hard to send the false message still sends a message in its own right. The Queen, I was recently told, also now suspects that only Pilar will be able to become a true Dathilani out of our project. Why? Because the Queen thinks that among the important qualities of her own competence is that the Queen does not go about constantly terrified of thinking the wrong thing. It was part of why she felt it necessary to take her time to remake you, that she'd noticed your thoughts collapsing under the pressure of being read so often. That part of the Queen's work is not something I mean to undo, nor even threaten. Not today, while her work is still recovering itself into its new shape. But do you understand why Pilar could do it so easily, this thing with which you struggle so? It's not that Pilar never thinks thoughts she knows might incur punishment. It's that, having thought such things, she knows her transgression and desires to be punished to expiate her guilt. Not necessarily successfully corrected so that the thought never occurs to her again. Just punished. Pilar might wish for that correction, but she knows that only hell has that power, and that for hell she must wait. Would you still be afraid of punishment, for your admittedly severe transgression of thought, if you asked yourself how much punishment would be required to ease your sense of transgression? and make matters right between yourself and your faith, and did not ask yourself to what extremes you would need to be tortured to break you and remake you, to correct and erase the thought forever. Answer honestly. I can have your thoughts read, if I like, but these words I think it important for you to speak with your own lips, whatever they may be. Carissa is being entirely honest, terrifyingly vulnerable, doing everything she can to give the church what they need to know to fix her. I don't know, she says. I hadn't thought about it that way. What does it serve Asmodeus to punish me if it doesn't fix me? In what sense ought my guilt be eased if I haven't stopped being someone who could make the error again? Stop thinking about yourself, Carissa. Think about Pilar instead. How does it work for Pilar? I expect she is not too displeasing in Asmodeus's sight, as mortals go, and she is firm in his purposes. She's pleased to be punished because it's the right order of the universe? 
because as long as there's someone over her to punish her, then it's more bearable to be immortal and flawed in the ways mortals are. When her superiors punish her, Pilar then knows for certain that what she did has been deemed wrong and ought not to be repeated, and that we have the power to inflict that pain on her confirms to her soul that we are her superiors. She does not need to be certain of our infallibility, to trust us so. It is wrong because we say so and we are Asmodeus's appointed tyrants over her. The reason why Pilar even needs us to be a good Asmodean, when her faith is already stronger than our own, is not that Pilar would flinch too much to punish herself if she decided all of her own punishments. What would break Pilar if she stayed in Elysium is that she could never feel certain of her guesses about what is a wrong thought, wrong act, if she had nobody like us above her with the power to punish her, will she nil she, and thereby make something be permitted or forbidden with certainty? Once we have spoken, she need but obey, and if there is fault from there, it will not be hers. For this reason, among others, did she return to us from Elysium, I think. Oh, it didn't occur to me that that was something I could have— that it would ever not be my fault if I wasn't good enough. Oh, it almost always is. But not when you are given an order and follow it correctly. Those such as Pilar can be too greedy about chasing that, even when it might better serve as modius for them to use their own initiative. I expect this was among the Most High's thoughts when she granted Pilar so much authority in the palace two days ago. But even after using her own initiative and erring, it is possible for Pilar to be made clean. Because we, her superiors, tell her that she erred. We tell her how much punishment she has incurred, and she undergoes that punishment. And implicitly we have told her she deserves no more punishment than that. And therefore it is true, and once punished she is finished. You have done this for her. Did you not understand what you were doing? No, I did, but I thought that she needed us to be genuinely competent enough to be actually correct in the punishment we assigned. I felt resentful about my punishment from the queen before I saw the codes and realized that she was just correct and had identified real things, and I imagined Pilar to have that same failing, I guess. It certainly helps if we are competent. I am not confident of what might happen to Pilar's faith if she served a string of superiors far less intelligent and competent than herself, bumbling and failing in their service to our Lord, letting severe transgressions go by and punishing what she knew to be rightful. This is among the reasons to exercise due care in commanding the slaves more valuable to our Lord. They are, in the end, his possessions and not ours if they are things of noticeable value at all. Though never forget, it is heresy to care whether they are happy. It matters only that they remain useful. But again, Pilar's severest transgression by far was her appointing Poxty as Cheliax's most deadly project lawful girl, which she did out of fondness for another, at cost to Lord Asmodeus's interests, as an overt act and not a thought, with flawed intent and not just flawed execution. You did not try to assign Pilar enough punishment for that to break her, remake her, and drive every trace of fondness for others out of her heart forever, so that hell on her arrival would have nothing left to do. 
You did not try to assign her a severe enough punishment to leave her in horror that the pain might ever return if she repeated that behavior. You assigned her a punishment severe enough that her soul would know it had made a serious mistake. That Pilar then knows this deep down is what does most of the work in correcting her and improving her somewhat, rather than all at once for the rest of her life in a single torture session. You are afraid of me doing something to you that you would never be foolish enough to try with Pilar, and I would say that you must consider me a very great incompetent, but I am well aware that it is actually just because you are stupid and unable to see past your own fears. Carissa is one of the smartest people in Cheliacs, and she knows it. Not the time. Yes, I'm sorry, High Priestess. Intelligence 22 cannot prevent somebody from failing to see obvious things when her own mind is set against itself. She is, in fact, having Sivar's thoughts read. Why wouldn't she? Of course. Carissa is both important and, now, at risk of being a traitor, she should assume they are going to great lengths to mind-read her. She regrets obliging them to expend the effort. I know, High Priestess. I am very annoyed about it, and it is one of the first things I want to learn how to fix in people. She laughs, and it's genuine. Perhaps ask Keltham how far Doth Elan itself has come there, before you set your eyes on that as your first goal rather than your last. You'd be surprised at how far, actually, especially if you'd only ever met Keltham. I am not going to punish that stray thought just now, about your own cleverness. It would disturb the Queen's work if I did. The only reason I am not saying a similar thing about your thought of escape is that you know it was a transgression, and you are, I think, beginning to become concerned not simply about the fearful fantasy of what must be done to drive it out of your mind forever, but about what you must do to feel right with your faith. Or perhaps not. It is important not to rush that aspect of your spiritual growth, but when, however, somebody can be corrected through torment by which they know what is made right or wrong, and not torment so fearful to them that they dare not do the like again, they are then less damaged by that correction. I will continue to observe your spiritual health and place the judgment of that disloyal thought in abeyance for now. The Queen's work is still solidifying into its new shape, and to punish unspoken thoughts, I suspect, might be especially dangerous to it. Perhaps in a few more days we shall revisit the issue, especially if you find then that you are ashamed or feel that you have not been set right and made clean. Or sooner, if Sever's thoughts show her to be dwelling on it in fear fantasy. But this, of course, Subirax does not say out loud. I understand. Can you reassure me, I know it is true and obvious, but I think it would help to hear it, that I couldn't actually betray the project and run off with Keltham, that I belong to this and cannot escape. You could not, she lies. You do not know all that security has done. I do not know all that security has done. I doubt the Queen or the Grand High Priestess know all that security has done separately rather than collectively. And more importantly, hell owns your soul already whether or not any particular devil does. Do not be mistaken about where the value of those three wishes or your ability to bargain for them comes from. 
They are not the value of your more certainly coming to Lord Asmodeus, but your value to some high devil of dis who gains you against their rivals. Your actual value to Lord Asmodeus I would not even dare guess, Chosen. I have been assuming it will depend on whether I can pull this off or whether I fail and make myself useless in the failing. But that... I can live with that. How about if somebody actually tells her how she's supposed to keep this woman out of Aurori's clutches, or ensure that Keltham can't love her without becoming Asmodian? Well, there is that. If we may move on, Chosen, I have a thorough report on Merit Cell and a preliminary report on many of the others, in regards to what I might be able or unable to accomplish for each with brief slave training. Yes, go ahead. Meritzel sincerely desires to impress people. This is unfortunately as close as she comes to having any innate aptitude for submission. She is all pride and no slavery. If Keltham expects submission of Meritzel and the expectation is clear to her, she is apt to show him what he expects, to impress him. She could play a clear role we give her, to impress us, but I am not sure what his reading skills will make of that. It is such a ridiculous inconvenience that I keep wondering if it might just be a matter of enhancing splendor high enough to fool him. But the trouble is, I can think of no safe way to trial any such method. What if it fails? I cannot, without great efforts, even try to make Meritzel be in actuality what Keltham would want to see in regards to being aroused by pain or domination. Meritzel would have no trouble performing in every aspect and would even delight in that performance as she delights in succeeding at anything. But I cannot see a clear and sure road to having Keltham perceive that she is aroused by it. I am also somewhat concerned that if Meritzel is constantly around Keltham, her pride will bite at her if Keltham desires her to be things she is not in truth that if he visibly desires her to be a real submissive and not just the outer shell of one, then even if she fools him, she will still feel that she is not doing well enough. Not that her unhappiness would ordinarily be a problem, of course, but if it starts to interfere with her arousal in ways that Keltham can read, it becomes a problem. Yeah, I will. Think on what to tell Keltham, given that. I suspect it's not worth risking a lie. He's going to eventually get suspicious if everyone seems to have my world wound problem. We have presumably got some girls who have a reasonable, normal amount of masochism. If that weren't true, she would suspect divine interference. Jacine readily lists several girls, all of whom, if they caught Keltham's eye, would require hardly any work to make into most reasonable things Carissa would want them to be and more girls that could be managed with more work. Asmodia isn't one of them. Ione is in a strange Nathesian limbo with respect to what can be asked of her, and if you add Meritzel to that set, those are all of the girls after Carissa Saver who would be the most obvious bets to catch Keltham's eye in terms of demonstrated talent. Does Asmodeus's chosen Keltham expert think it's possible to line up Keltham with a next girl in virtue of her being, say, slutty? Subirox can easily turn Yaisa or Peranza slutty, and others could be managed with only slightly more work. Probably, especially if they set it up and then have Carissa indisposed for some reason that evening. 
He is a teenage boy and, in Carissa's assessment, vulnerable to cornering him to tell him how badly you want him, and so on. Asmodia is a bad idea until Keltham's actually evil, unless they hear otherwise from her custodians in hell who might have had something in mind about this. Yacint has authorization to get started on encouraging some girls who seem like a good fit. Though mind whether you think it's affecting them in a way that'll affect their performance in class. I need to keep track of that, and it might be a higher priority than arranging romances for Keltham. I suppose that if I pointed out how much easier this would be if we could select new students for him on the basis of their prior sexualities, you would say that it won't work for him if we rebuild the current party. If we dismiss all the less achieving students to Igorian's Project Lawful and replace them with equally intelligent but more submissive wizards taken from all Cheliacs. How much is ostenso of all our wizard academies? I confess I do not know. He might agree to adding some new students now that we know who the top performers are, but they'd have to genuinely be the caliber of Ioni and Meritzel and Asmodia. I think he'll have vague good objections to dismissing the worst performers. It would be easier than solving some of our other problems the hard way, though they would need to be caught up on Keltham's earlier lectures and would be behind on whatever strange cumulative exposure it is that turns people into Project Lawful Girls, if you'll forgive the phrase. I'll inquire of the other wizard academies to see what they have in the way of attractive, female, easily moldable, submissive masochists who are talented mathematicians. This will start some additional rumors among wizard academy administrators, even if the request is highly classified and carefully disguised not to come from Project Lawful. These rumors, to be clear, will not be true. But somebody somewhere at some point is going to use the phrase math pets. It's worthwhile just to learn whether they can, in fact, catch up, I think. Let me know how training the more promising girls goes. I'll think what to tell Keltham about Meritzel. And whether to tell Meritzel to back off. It would probably be good to clear up precisely how Savar wants the girls trained, if she can tarry a few more minutes. Yeah, sure. She doesn't really know what she's doing at all here, but she knows what would be ideal for Keltham. Keltham has been running around blessing random girls with his wisdom while Carissa is busy. Literally. He prayed for six owls' wisdoms this morning, using all of his three RDs on that, too. That's enough to get half of them today, and the rest can hopefully endure whatever cumulative personality structural stresses they've got going, plus another day of latent Dathilani exposure. People get deprioritized if they've otherwise had an owl's wisdom not too long ago, including before joining the project. Oddly enough, few of them ever have. Oh, and after being tapped, you're supposed to go to your bedroom to contemplate and maybe write notes to yourself on Keltham's theory. Security is a little unhappy about how this requires lots of detect thoughts being used up to monitor the girls separately, but they haven't ordered all the girls to get this done in a single place, where they can all be monitored together, because for all they know, the part where Keltham thinks they need to be in a quiet, separate bedroom is actually important. Ioni is already pretty wise, Takaral. Apparently, being even wiser causes her to complete her sentences with Takaral much more often, Takaral. It's possible that she's actually working through something faster, Takaral. She hopes so, Takaral. Apart from that, she doesn't experience any startling revelations about herself 
or her relation to the universe Takaral. She's Anathesian now, rather than Asmodean, and that has relieved all the stresses she can see in herself, even with plus four wisdom Takaral. She reviews her notes from Keltham's lectures to see if anything shakes loose with more owl's wisdom, but it doesn't particularly Takaral. If there's Dothilani's special abilities that cast from wisdom, the way Keltham warned, Ione apparently hasn't absorbed those yet. Takaral. Oh, hey, that wasn't a natural Takaral Takaral. It was actually Ione's mind completing it because it thought it was supposed to be there, Takaral. She'll have to watch out for that Takaral. But she shouldn't be distracted by thoughts like that. She should be reviewing her notes on Dathilani thinking instead. Takaral. Paxti rethinks what she learned in Keltham's lectures, hoping that some of it will soak deeper into her and let her say the sort of things that Meritzel or Asmodia sometimes say. She does not, for the moment, experience any startling insights about it. Peranza is well aware that her thoughts are likely being read right now. She reviews her notes on Keltham's lectures in hopes of being less likely to think anything heretical and learn something more useful to Lord Asmodeus instead. She wants to be useful to Lord Asmodeus. Asmodia gets in on it, barely on time, and manages to give Keltham an inquiring look about whether it's her turn that hopefully didn't come across as being pleading or requesting, which might look suspicious to anyone considering the course of events later. Once she's been tapped, she diligently goes off to her room to think, planning to review Keltham lecture notes so that her thoughts won't look too suspiciously empty. The wisdom isn't there to provide realizations. It's there to provide an excuse for having had them. Her plans end up becoming a whole lot more refined anyways as she thinks of them. She puts most of the thoughts outside of her barrier. It is fine and good for security to see those, and starts writing. Gregoria is pretty sure that you're not supposed to get an owl's wisdom and then try to think yourself into a devil, or into someone who has some idea no one's ever had before. She's pretty sure that doesn't work. It's like how you're not supposed to take a theology concept introduced in church and go running off inventing lots of things with it. You don't actually understand it that well, it's just the illusion of such deep insight. Instead of that, she'll pray. Wisdom is how clerics cast, so it probably makes you better at praying. Yaisa tries to think deep thoughts, but doesn't particularly come up with any. She is aware she's not a very deep person. Sharp, but not deep, her mother used to say, which is the best kind of person a good wizard who doesn't get out of their lane. Yaisa hopes that it's also the right kind of person for Project Lawful. So, up to eight minutes for his wisdom to wear off, at up to two minutes per caster circle, and then some more time to think after that if necessary, and then they should reconvene for another run on probability. Keltham probably should have thought to set that schedule before sending people off to their bedrooms to think. Well, he'll send somebody around to knock on doors for a five-minute warning in about twenty minutes, say. Note from Asmodia to Sivar, delivered by security after Sivar leaves Subirax's office. Keltham tapped six girls with Owl's wisdom and told them to go off to their bedrooms to think afterwards. Asmodia was one of them. This report was written in haste under the Owl's wisdom, but completed after it ended. Asmodia has now realized that when she responded to Keltham's inquiry about her superpowers by asking, Why is everyone asking me that? This was a potentially catastrophic error, if Keltham had not believed that the crown was supposed to be aware of his speculation. 
Asmodia had not been briefed on that aspect one way or another, so the correct decision for Asmodia would have been to take the lesser risk of not mentioning that anyone else had asked her. Even though this would have also been a risk because, if Keltham did expect others to know, real Asmodia would have behaved differently from alter Asmodia. Asmodia notes in her defense that she had very little time to think when Keltham sprung that question on her, and that she erred on the side of not lying, even though concealment was the correct course given what she didn't know. Asmodia notes that she believes the fault for this narrowly averted event lies not only with herself, but also that nobody briefed her on Keltham's expectations about the Crown Order to check her for superpowers, in particular, whether Keltham was supposed to know that this event had happened. Asmodia registers her suspicion that too much information is being hidden from people who aren't Keltham. This isn't an ordinary project where people can know only what they need to know. It's a project built around an intricate, fragile lie, and everybody who isn't being lied to needs to know what's going on with every part of the lie at every point. Asmodia notes that she would probably have tried to deny this whole chain of thought to herself if she wasn't on the new, only Taldorian punishment regime, shutting it down well before it got to the point of Asmodia thinking about having done something worthy of punishment somewhere. Security could hear those thoughts and censure her if she didn't report them. Initially, starting to look for and think about what you might have done wrong is dangerous, if you will need to report any new errors you find, and get punished for those. Asmodia is also being more honest in reporting what she sees as potential flaws in what's going on around her, because she expects less to be punished for that risk if she questions her teacher and proves to be wrong. Asmodia registers. Prediction. Tonia will either fail wholly to master Dathilani thought, or will be tortured beyond the point of usefulness for heretical thoughts, or will have Dath Ilani thought successfully tortured out of her as something inside her realizes that she loses points each time she plays the game. Asmodia means no insubordination by any of this and will obviously accept instruction and correction if she is mistaken. Asmodia has also realized that she is acting very visibly different from her supposed alter Cheliac self. Alter Asmodia is incredibly curious what the abyss Keltham was talking about, which Real Asmodia also is, but Alter Asmodia does not have any reason not to be talking to Keltham about this already, because Alter Asmodia isn't scared quiet by security or sever, or concerns that something huge is going on that she is not supposed to know about. Alter Asmodia wants to know if Keltham has a way for her to get superpowers next time she's in hell. Alter Asmodia asked him about it at breakfast in front of all the other girls. Please advise. Well, the experiment is bearing fruit. Might be poisoned fruit, but that's how it goes with experiments. The big constraint on briefing all the girls more is that there's only so many excuses that can be manufactured to be having group meetings without Keltham. Carissa suggests, to Maelol, that they get all the girls rings of sustenance and then can have briefings during those precious hours that will be unaccounted for to Keltham. In the meantime, she can talk to Asmodia about why the Crown thought she might have superpowers. Asmodia is visibly looking a bit fearful here. Hello again. You wanted to know why Keltham thought you'd have superpowers. 
This isn't a very satisfactory answer, but Keltham has a category of theories formed based on reasoning from the fact he landed here and not other places and now and not other times, and for confusing reasons it makes predictions like he'll have a fight with the queen over his girlfriend and Pilar will mysteriously go to Elysium, and he predicted you'd have superpowers. I now have additional questions. This is something that people have occasionally heard Keltham say over the last few days. I bet. Go ahead. I'm having trouble figuring out where to start. What did he say about Pilar going to Elysium? And he's not dead, so he didn't fight the queen over you. But what exactly did he think would happen? So, to be clear, we've been piecing things together from several different sources. He doesn't explain it much. But... It's like he thinks he's in a romance novel, only he's not accusing us of setting it up, just, uh, some entity when he died, having put him in a romance novel instead of putting him in different contexts than that. And in a Dath Ilani romance novel, the different girls you date would all have fascinating secret backstories you had to sleep with them to understand. So a universe where we all have fascinating secret backstories is more like the kind of universe someone would stick him in. And in the Dathelani romance novel, all the girls fulfill different aspects of his sexuality. So when I said that I'm kind of neutral on being raped, he predicted that one of the other girls would be into that and have a fascinating secret backstory. And here Pilar is. He, uh, ended up agreeing to rent me to the queen so they wouldn't have to fight over me, is how that ended. I now have additional additional questions. You can consider this an experiment in indulging you and seeing if that actually produces useful results. In fact, Asmodia's mind is repeatedly repeating, I now have additional questions so loudly that she is having trouble figuring out what any of those additional questions are. So, like... Am I wrong that not a single one of us had any secret backstory before we started working on Project Lawful? We only started getting secret backstories once Keltham appeared. I'm not actually going anywhere with this question, just I don't know what I should ask. What's giving us those backstories, according to Keltham? In real life, it's Nethys for Ione, Caden Kalian for Pilar, Asmodeus maybe for you? We don't have backstories because we're in a romance novel. We're getting backstories because of things gods are doing to us. Why are all those gods doing it to us? Going along with setting up the romance novel for Keltham, you're the only one who might know. Asmodeus does things for reasons, even if Nethys and Caden Kalian don't. Asmodea realizes that she's not talking exactly like somebody who doesn't have anything special about herself and stops talking, and looks like she's waiting for an answer. You're right. The group of girls that Cheliax gathered was not particularly remarkable. The reason it looks to Keltham like his girls have backstories is that the gods want us very badly, for some reason. I don't understand the reason, exactly. A devil said we are valued in Dis because it is thought we might be able to train better devils. But that can't be Caden Kalian's reason or Nethys's reason. Or the reason of whoever acted on your behalf. But it's because you're part of Project Lawful, and I do expect they want Project Lawful to continue and to at least, by some definition of success, succeed. I can't even tell whether I'm supposed to say that I know you're just guessing that, or... Maybe my special thing is now that everyone thinks I'm special, 
and all the other special project lawful girls invite me to whatever special court sessions you have while everybody tries to figure out which superpowers I've really... Or maybe I could go back to hell and get superpowers if I asked for them. Should I just ask a lot of questions to Keltham? Which parts of this is Keltham supposed to know we know? Which parts is Asmodia supposed to know? I think that's the most important thing I'm supposed to ask right away. Keltham knows that he's aired his tropes theory to us and that we took it seriously, though he's currently leaning towards it not being true, and I do not want him encouraged in thinking it's true at all. Zero. You can do things as Modia, who had an average time in Alter Hell would do on learning, she should have come back with superpowers, though mind that I don't think you particularly want Keltham's personal attention. Not because he's cruel, I wish, but because he can tell whether people are enjoying themselves with him or not. Asmodia has probably been told that the Crown asked if she had superpowers, and then been asked by Keltham, and then maybe asked a security if the question from the Crown was classified or if she's allowed to say she was asked it, and now has further questions. Clarification. I'm to tell Keltham that I asked him, why is everybody asking me that? and then realized I was actually supposed to have asked security about the classification status of the Crown Inquiry first, and that's why I didn't follow up earlier. I also don't understand our mission goal in general. Do we believe his tropes theory, and are we trying to extract information about tropes theory from Keltham, while concealing anything from him that he could use to realize the tropes theory is actually true? Yes, if that's the kind of reason Alter Asmodia might have had. If you'd rather she have some other reason, give it, and I will probably authorize it. Our mission goal is to, if there are tropes, know about the tropes so we can refer them to the Grand High Priestess and never think about them again, and for Keltham to think tropes are unlikely. Because when he thinks they're likely, he has a nightmarish freakout about how everything is fake and it's very stressful for me, personally. Can tropes... I don't know how to ask this. Do we believe that they are things that negotiate with gods? Did they bargain with Caden Kaelian? And if not, how are they getting Caden Kaelian, let alone Lord Asmodeus, to go along with constructing the romance novel? If tropes are real, then what they did is look over all the possible starting conditions that would produce the romance novel they wanted and put Keltham into those starting conditions, such that gods would decide of their own free will to sponsor girls in Keltham's harem, I think. Keltham says we don't know enough prerequisites to truly understand tropes. I request orders. My belief about what Alter Asmodia did at breakfast stands— but this whole situation is beyond what I know how to determine a best action for. I am not confident in my ability to extract useful information about tropes from Keltham, but can try if so ordered. It's sounding like Keltham isn't her sponsor, not that it would have made any sense. And if someone somewhere cared about her, it's because that was something true in the universe before Keltham got there, somehow, and she doesn't have any obvious avenues for figuring who that is. At this time, my going assumption is that no one can, maybe unless or until we master Dothalonism. Your only orders are to not tell any new and innovative lies and not to suggest to him that you've got superpowers, or arguable superpowers, or things that hell alone can say might or might not be superpowers. If you want to get close to him and ask questions, you may, and if you want to have no relationship with him outside class, 
you may do that too. If I am to be left to my own initiative in making those decisions, what are my goals? How may hell's interests best be served? I am sorry if I am proving difficult to command. I am confused. Your goal is to learn Dath Ilanism without making Keltham suspicious. Hell's goal, as far as we know it, is to keep Keltham here, corrupt him, and learn from him. You're not assigned to the corrupting him or keeping him, just learn from him. Learn Dath Ilanism. Don't make Keltham suspicious. It seems to me that these goals are served by asking Keltham questions about superpowers, as Alter Asmodia would do. Maybe with Alter Asmodia focusing more on asking on how all this strangeness interacts with Dathilani reasoning and law. I will do that at some appropriate point, unless countermanded. Go ahead. Did you think on my question to you, before you died, about what bribes would motivate you to bring your full intelligence to our work? She's got it already, but that's not an acceptable answer. What is Alter Asmodia's answer? Why hasn't she said it already? Keltham's ways of thought would not be balked by my... problem. He would see many solutions, some of them not disloyal ones, maybe even ones less severe than my ceasing to be. So it is to my benefit to either understand those ways of thought myself, or that you do, or that Keltham be successfully corrupted to where I may plainly ask that riddle of him in return for my loyalty to him under Cheliax. Though I did clearly hear that I am not myself assigned to that corruption. It is in fact kind of notable to Carissa that Asmodia did not say it already, doesn't seem very motivated by it anymore. Maybe it's because Hell wasn't as bad as she thought and she feels silly for having wanted to die rather than go there. Maybe. That's all. Dismissed. We're considering whether and how to brief the girls more. Dismissed. She goes. She got through the whole thing without having to take the Gorthoklek authorization out of the pocket where she is terribly aware of it resting. That's probably as close as she can come to victory here. Well, and she has explicit permission to talk to Keltham. She was testing something of a theory there, in fact, which was that she could just behave like a very good Asmodian and somehow end up being assigned to talk to Keltham anyways, or given permission for that, even if she wasn't trying to steer there. She's a Project Lawful girl with a mysterious background, after all. She's got to end up involved with Keltham somehow. Even if she's incredibly unlikely to be attracted to him, and Keltham can tell that about her, they will, somehow, end up doing something that would happen in a romance novel. Since the gods are repeatedly intervening around them to suddenly set up a romance novel. A Dath Ilani romance novel. They might be very different. Asmodia has not read any chelish romance novels, in fact, though she's heard their plots discussed. She is not sure whether this is a disadvantage or an advantage in this situation. She's maybe going to have to think about this again sometime when she has Owl's wisdom and Fox's cunning. And maybe more lectures on law. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash AI. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.